Hello and welcome to Cult Picks Radio, WCPX 66.6 in the podcasting ether. With me, your benevolent dictator host, Django Nudo. And me, the smut peddler. I'm the defiler today. <laughs> well, listen, defiler, before we get started with anything, I think we'll start with a very public verbal spanking of you. Let's. For your epic microphone fuck-up last week. Yes, today I come to you loud and clear instead of somewhere <laughs> in the ether. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yes. It was uh, That was a major fuck-up. Let's get on with things without humiliating you further. Thank you. Um, happy George A. Romero Day. If you're mm. listening to this on the same day that we've recorded it, uh, depending how quickly we get it out, February 4th, uh, George Romero was born in 1940 today. That is kind of a segue because Night of the Living Dead is one of the films that we are now offering for free, gratis. Yes. No charge on cold picks. Yes, we are now we becoming the, the drug dealer in the schoolyard. So the first, <laughs> the first fix is free and then you get hooked and then you have to pay. Yeah, no, no, we're the first... First one should always be on the house. Mm. Um, and we've hand curated and selected um, you know, some, some of our favorite films. And um, we should talk a little bit about them. And, and most of them, um, you were actually um, instrumental in picking out. So um, I'm sitting watching here um, before me. So obviously we have the great classics, um, twin classics, one of which is Night of the Living Dead. The other one being Plan 9 from Outer Space, which really, if you're into cult films, those are kind of the first two you should be watching. Yeah. Um, and um, also um, some personal favorites of mine. Uh, Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla with um, the worst um, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin double act imitation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got Dementia 13, Francis Ford Coppola's um, yeah. you know, entry into the um, cult universe. And given the fact that it's uh, 50 years since The uh, Godfather came out, I'm looking at this at next year. It's going to be 60 years since Dementia 13 came out. Wow. That's amazing. And we have so, another favorite of mine. That's Spider Baby by Jack Hill, who later on mm. went on and, and made a bunch of cool exploitation movies. But this is a gem that, that really oh, yes. stands out, I think. Yeah. No, it's, that is truly classic. Um, we have um, a silent classic as well, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. A couple of um, film noirs. Again, really, this should be, should be part of your um, like top ten films of getting started with Detour yeah. and uh, DOA. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and and of course, a, it wouldn't be complete without a splatter film. So we've got Driller Killer, Abel Video Ferrara. Nasty. Yeah. Yes, uh, and. Um, a fa personal favorite of mine, Killer Workout, Aerobicide. It's the 80s film that has everything. Um, you know, slasher, um, you know, synthesizer soundtrack, bad hairdos, even worse clothes. 
um, it's it's a must see. That's amazing. And we threw in a bunch of Swedish films from our own library, like uh, The Wild Hunt for the Hearse and um, Do You yes. Believe in Swedish Sin and other really fun little films from Sweden. Yeah. And we said that we wouldn't have anything too too naked or too violent, although we did we do have a nudie there, which is um Shaliget Tiltusen. Yeah. And I actually ended up including two of the most uh, horrifically violent films we have, which are the uh driving safety films. We oh, had yes. that theme week a, a few months back. So Signal oh, thirty, Wheels of Tragedy are there. So if if you really want gore uh, you can't any worse than that. No, that, that was a, that's and a last, great choice. And last, I should mention just, yeah, um, Invasion of the Bee Girls. Um, you picked that. It's also a beautiful, beautiful print that's there. Um, Do in Time, which is very popular in our kitten season. Mm. Um, one of those bad 80s Police Academy knockoffs. Um, and some more favorites of mine, which is the Cronenberg short, uh, Program X Secret Weapon. Yeah. And the mystery of the leaping fish, uh, Douglas Fairbanks as you know, coke-addled uh, Sherlock Holmes kind of detective. Yeah, and not mentioning all of them, but last but not least, North Korea's very own Godzilla film. Again, uh, subject of one of our most popular podcasts, but it's Pulgasari. Yes, it has to be seen to be and... you know believed. <laughs> really. <laughs> It definitely does. So, yeah, so head over um, to um, Cold Picks and scroll down for the special section of free films, which is now ready to be viewed by everybody. You just need to register. No yeah. need to pay anything. And then when, when you love what we're doing, you can pay an annual membership and become a cult member. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe we shouldn't reveal this, but it's interesting that the majority of our members actually have signed up for a full year rather than do the monthly yeah. uh, Netflixy thing. Yeah, so because it's a great discount. Shows true. It is. It is. Mm. You definitely get more value for your money doing it that way. Sure. And in terms of what you get out of it, I should mention we have also now relaunched. Uh, it was up briefly. Uh, the top ten most viewed films. Yeah. Um, which we're going to be updating regularly, if I remember it, every week. And it's an interesting insight into what it is that people like and watch. And no surprise, it's obviously the most recent edition. So there's quite a few from this week's theme, which we'll get on to. Um, but um, Vampires from last week and obviously still uh, Kitten films. But also some classics. We have Skandal Skolan, The Second Coming of Eva. Mm. And the keyhole. Great. Um, so Nickel Hollet is a perennial uh, evergreen classic, clearly. With Marie Ekore, the famous Swedish centerfold. Yes, who I got into trouble with Instagram because I put up the poster from mm. the film there, not realizing that there's a very, very tiny nipple visible. Mm. And, and you know that's the most dangerous box. thing you can post on the internet. Female nipples, yes. 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 You know, male nipples, okay. Female nipples. It's a normal. Yeah. For sure. And we have a big and funny news today. Can we say yes. what we just published? It has nothing to do with the theme week, but do. it's something we have been uh, negotiating for for a long time. And we are there 
finally there. And it's the debut film from uh, Mr. Boane Vibenius, who made a notoriously violent film, Thriller, A Cruel Picture. And I would say this is the reason he was kind of forced to make Thriller, because this is his children's film from 1969. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, it was a big box office failure and he thought he could make that up by making thriller but of course that also went down the drain but this one is mm. called in swedish hur marie träffade fredrik osnan rebus kängrun ploj och or in english how marie met frederick the donkey rebus the kangaroo ploy and dot 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 it's been restored by the swedish film institute we had a theatrical screening last year at bio aspen in stockholm it's a beautiful print and it's a beautiful film. It's a completely misunderstood little gem that no one has been able to watch since it was made, basically. So we are very happy and very proud to uh, present that today on Cult Picks. And we should be grateful that it was a commercial failure because if it had been a success, who knows, he might have gone off and been sucked into doing Astrid Lindgren adaptations or maybe you know, lured to Hollywood by Disney Yeah, back when they did, you know, kiddie films. And um, we wouldn't have had Thriller or let it's alone true. Breaking Point. Very, very true. But we are happy to see it and also having watched it myself there are so many hints of stylistic uh, moves that uh, Vibenius has in this film that you will see again in in thriller and in in also in breaking point so he has a kind of an auteur style he does and he also clearly switched between very very different genres and that kind of segues into the theme week subject of the week which is the great director lee frost yes indeed he was a very versatile director incredibly and, and not just director but also producer cinematographer editor would occasionally jump in front of the camera mm. as an actor yeah but it, it's almost easier to say which genres he didn't uh, cover. I don't think he did Jane Austen period no. dramas, but... And he didn't do any children's films, for sure. No, no, definitely <laughs> stayed away from that. Um, but I mean, we, this is only a slice of selection of the films that he made, some of which were on Culpix earlier and some of which we've been adding this week. But... It's it spans you know obviously the mondo and I think we're going to get into that mondo also a bit later this mm. year yeah but uh, you know comedies horrors um, westerns um, nudies crimes but there was always a bit of an auteur theme there too with his films and it increasingly as we'll progress uh, chronologically we'll see the films getting a bit. Shall we say rougher? Yes, I mean, I, I think that the genre, the genre roughy, is really fitting on on this director. And as you say, it it progressed over time for sure. As it as it started with some pretty, you know, funny and not that violent films, it 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 went on to get kind of worse and worse. 
Yeah, he was never going to get a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Organization for Women because you know, no. misogyny, I think, was his his middle name, or probably if yeah. Not, if it wasn't, as we said, that he put the he put the Lee into sleazy. Exactly. Yeah. Mr. Frost did. Yeah, this is so uh, it's 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 it's, um, it's interesting also because um, well, they're both violent and misogynistic, but they're also quite you know well made and well acted some of them at least some are pretty fast shoestring budget films as well so it, you you have this sort of roller coaster yes that's true considering some of them were made in just two three days and mm. on a you know budget that wouldn't cover the catering of a you know hollywood film at yeah. the time and some had very uh, elaborate sets a... and costumes so yes they do. Um, so he got his break, um, if we're going to do it chronologically, and, and yeah. we'll return to the kind of over uh, his many uh, partnerships, um, creative partnerships, because he crossed paths and worked with a lot of um, other people who pop up on cult picks. Um, he even did a mainstream film, although we haven't got it here because it wouldn't be considered culty, but uh, 1975's Race with the Devil, where none other than Peter Fonda and uh, Warren Oates pop up, even though there's definitely a bit of a cult or you know, exploitation theme there with um, Satan worshippers pursuing these. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Frost was, was supposed to direct it, but it, he ended up writing the screenplay and someone else directed it. Right. Yes, you're right. And then went on to um, working as uh, editor on industrial movies and, and worked quite long on all the way until um, the 90s. Yeah. So his span was significant, you know, over 30 years. Very much. And tons and tons of movies. And I think we have 14 in our retrospective this time. Yep. You know, and it wouldn't surprise me if we come back to it. But shall we kick off with his directorial debut? Yeah, that's it's uh, Surf Tide '77, and it's as early as 1962. But it's still a nudie, mm. and uh, I, I must say I'm, I'm quite surprised that there's so much nudity in it being that early. Um, but it's one of those sort of nudie cuties where you have this uh, sort of goofy guy who ends up watching lots and lots of nude girls. And in this case, the guy is a private eye called Bernard Bing Bang. And um, <laughs> here is also the first time that uh, Lee Frost works with the producer Bob Cressy, who also yes. is in a role as Lady Agatha Bungworthy, who is uh, looking for her runaway niece. And it's, it's a kind of a silly story, but... Um, he has to check out a lot of women because he's looking for a birthmark next to the nipple of one woman, speaking of what we talked about before. And um, yes. my, my favorite story about this is that he uh, ends up with, with in, a, in like a controversy with the lethal Vultura, who was played by mm. none other than Miss Playboy, January 1959, Virginia Gordon. Yes, the gorgeous Gordon. Yes, and uh, also um, just a fun fact, and we are also now toying around with that. Uh, some of it is shot in Bronson Canyon, and for those who don't know what that is, you might have seen the cave in Robot Monster, 
or Batman the movie mm. from 66. But this location has been used for so many films and TV series. They are listing 150 of them on uh, Wikipedia. But there are probably much, much yeah. more. I was amazed when you sent the list. I mean, they talk about, you know, burn a location where you, where you shoot too much in it. But mm. um, this must have been, there must have been a queue of, of film crews just waiting for their turn to, you know, make their monster slash sci-fi slash yeah. um, horror film in that location. And the title for the film, Surftide 77, is a wordplay on Surfside 6, which was a popular 60s uh, detective mm. TV show. And in this case, it's the phone number of Bing Bang's answering service, who is a beautiful naked gal. And here yeah. he calls her up. Operator, give me Surftide 7. 7-7. Seven, seven. Hello, baby. Hello, Mr. Bing Bang. I just wanted to check in, baby. I'm on a new assignment. Call it the case hidden butterfly sounds exciting i'm gonna see if i can flush out louis the lip has he called in lately the latest is that he's on the lamb use the contact on 8th street pencils mcgee okay baby i'm on my way check in later we've definitely lost something when we've lost you know answer services and answer machines yes and replaced with whatsapp but th this puts me in mind of in the fact that uh, it's such an early uh nudie is that there really was only as far as i can tell three ways of of getting you know nudity onto the big screen back then in the 60s either in um documentary about a naturist camp nudist mm. camp yeah and there were plenty of those. Um, in fact, David Friedman, I think, kicked off that. Um, either this kind of um, comedy, nudie cutie, or European art house imports. Yeah. And um, um, it's very interesting also reading about um, David Friedman that uh, he was a great believer in selling the sizzle, not the sausage. So you don't actually show that you much. Know, go yeah. all the way, but... It's true. There was no, no the, full uh, frontal nudity back then. No, but it did lead to the uh, joining up of uh, Lee with Bob Cressy to form Olympic International, which then went on to uh, produce and distribute many more of the films that we're going to be talking about and looking at, including The Animal Scavengers and Love Camp 7. Mm. And But next we move on to The House on Bear Mountain, from 1962 and it's one that has a particular place in our hearts um and we're, we are quite obsessed with it probably because you know it sits in the middle of that venn diagram of nudies and monster films yeah which What's not frankly, to like? there aren't enough of yeah <laughs> We love it so much that we made it the uh, image for our podcast as well of the the werewolf and the beauty yeah um, even though we've lately been updating with different artwork for each podcast. But yes, like I said, it's not every day that you get to see the Frankenstein monster do the twist alongside a Buxmas uh, beauty. But it is very strange uh, adult-only skin flick mixing, uh, as it says here, monsters and memories. Yeah. And um, did so even before... 
uh, Harry Novak's Kiss Me Quick, which is not a film I'm familiar with. I have mm, to it's also from Something Weird Video, so we, we should grab that and put it up as well. Mm. And Bob Cressy is back in front of the camera again. As a little old lady. Doing his, Mon- <laughs> <laughs> his Monty Python drag act, I was going to say. Oh, Lord, yes. Uh, doing Granny Good. So who runs this school for um, newbal young women and um, guides them through these uh, topless exercise routines, um, topless sunbathing and, and very strange art classes. But in fact, it's a fraud. It's a front. It's actually a disguise, um, not a granny disguise, but a disguise for granny's bootlegging mm. activities in the basement. Um, where the moonshine is being tended to by a seven-foot-tall werewolf in hairy makeup. And this oh, is infiltrated by a sexy undercover cop, which is kind of a theme we'll come back to in mm. Love Camp 7 yeah, as well, yeah. um, organizing a, a, a raid on this. So considering it's 1962 when this film came out, again, you know, pretty pretty bare-breasted for the time. Yeah, very say. much so, yeah. But it's uh, it's just tons of fun, super silly. Not least because apparently um, I read that uh, it was initiated by uh, producer Wes Bishop, uh, but the problem is that he uh, overspent on uh, equipment and everything, so effectively ran out of money right at the beginning of the shoot. So Crescent Frost had to step in, finish the film. They didn't have much time, only a couple of days, so they pretty much ad-libbed the whole thing. So it has a, a charming kind of slapdash feel to it. Yeah. Which I think adds to the the wacky authenticity of it. Definitely, so, and I mean Bob Cressy sh- also. His uh, he had such a way with words. He often wrote the screenplays, but also did all the uh, mm. advertising. and And here he's actually billed as the lovable Bob Cressy, which I think is like <laughs> so wrong in so many ways. But he also does the narration of the beautiful uh, trailer. Olympic. International Films just produced a new kind of horror film. This picture, I run a finishing school for young girls working on the finer points of bodybuilding. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. This dainty little girl was in school on a football scholarship. Of course, if you don't like horror movies or sex, or comedies or sex, or Frankenstein or sex, well then just don't come see it, honey, because this movie is dirty, dirty, dirty. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the lovable Bob Cressy. Yeah. And now we come to Hollywood's world of flesh, a daring expose of the Sin City Sodom and Gomorrah of the West in the style of an Italian uh, Mondo film. Yeah, um, and it was very early because um, Mondo Cane, which is the original Mondo movie, was made in 1962, and this is from 63. Yes, so they were quick to jump on trends Mm. and spot what it was that audiences were hungry for that was new and, and different. Um, but they didn't spare the hyperbole when it came to, um, you know, lying about what went into the making of this film. So apparently it was 
um, two, two complete motion picture units took 13 months to compile this, you know, under the um, CD skin of, of Hollywood, adult bookstores, grindhouses, you know, lesbian strip bars. Yeah. Which probably means it took them about half a week to shoot it. Exactly. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is my pleasure to welcome you to a most unusual experience in motion picture entertainment. My name, for reasons that I am sure will become obvious to you, will have to remain anonymous. For some 22 years, I have been directing and producing motion pictures in Hollywood working on location with various film studios in this town has given me the opportunity to travel to all the major countries of the globe but i can assure you there is no town in this world that equals hollywood california there have been many visitors to hollywood you may well have been among them and there have been many motion pictures made surrounding this town showing its glamour and its beauty however the story we are about to show you is not about the Hollywood you have seen or heard of before. It took two complete motion picture units 13 months to compile the footage that you are about to see. Our story is about the backside of this town. Now, Smut Peddler, seeing as you are the defiler this week, yes. um, why don't you tell us about the defilers, plural, yeah, I will. Well, I think that here... Um, Lee Frost, you know, found his niche. This was like one of the first examples. And uh, the tagline goes, savored, snared, snatched, strapped. Everything they touch is stained. And this is about two young, sadistic, immoral men who love to drink and smoke pot and just do a lot of bad stuff. And if as if that wasn't enough, they kidnap um, a beautiful young Midwestern girl played by Mai Jonsson, uh, supposedly born in Sweden. But I haven't found any more information about her, so this seems to be her only role. If someone out there knows anything mm. more, do get in touch with us. And she is, mm. um, you know, tied up in a basement and abused by these two for a very long time uh and it's rough and it's only 1965 quite mm. extraordinary it is well and again they had to be clever because it was um still the the early mid 60s so there's only so much brutality they could show you know we're not yet in uh, driller killer uh, kind of territory so it is clever in terms of what it shows and what it implies rather than actually you know doing the full gory yeah. uh, splatter stuff and as the liner but notes it's very bleak yeah indeed and as a liner note says uh if you wanted to show something nude by necessity intensity was sub substituted for explicitness so you can add on mm. from the the documentaries the comedies uh, you can add on the, the, the roughies as another way of, of being able to show more skin. Never before has a motion picture probed so deeply into depravity. This is the shock-studded story of two young men, immoral, hedonistic, indulged. 
whose sole existence is spent satisfying their weird, warped desires. These are the defilers. Everything they touch is stained. Wealth and leisure afford them every opportunity for every gratification. Every day was a ball, every night a sensual orgy. But even wantons could no longer satisfy their ravenous cravings. Sated with sex, liquor and drugs, what else could they try in their crazed pursuit of kicks? An innocent young girl provided the answer. So from the dark basement to the sunlit ranch, and we switch genres now as we go Western for Hotspur, 1968. Um, which has deals with all manner of um, injustices, racial injustice, you know, misogyny, um, and is a return again for um, favorite actress of Lee Frost, Virginia Gordon again. Hmm. Um, only, and she'd be back for a third film as well. So this one is set at a uh, ranch where there is a um, stable hand who is badly treated because he's from south of the border or his family is. Mm. Um, so he gets, you know, um, degrading treatment at the hand of the um, hot-to-trot blonde, that's Virginia Gordon, and um, decides the, to turn the tables on her. So he abducts her, mm. yet another abduction film of Lee Frost. Yeah, and he's also um, undercover, her up. you could say. Yes. He's been planning yeah. this for okay. some time. Yes, because we learned about these um, kind of treatments and flashbacks. Mm. Um, so there was a plan all along for um, taking her down off her high horses, literally. Um, and so we're uh, taking her to a cobweb-filled mining shack and um, yeah, where she gets tied up and beaten, and we find out about um, you know the bad treatment that he suffered. So it's really not doing much for um, Mexican American relationships in terms of uh, yeah. the kind of uh, treatment here. That's um, but it's it's gleefully misogynistic almost, and there is intense sexual violence. So. Um, you know, this whole podcast should have probably come with a trigger warning, except we don't do trigger warning. No, it's um, up to anyone what they want to see. Uh, exactly. Um, and it's got a bit of a twist at the ending, which we're not going to give away. But um, as the line notes say, Hotspur is simply put an all-out assault on humanity. You can almost hear Bob Cressy cackling. My sister was 17 and I was 11. They didn't have to torture her. All of them are dead now. I killed them all except one, the leader. Your husband. She died, you know. My sister died. That night, uh, alone in her room, she took my father's gun and killed herself. She was so ashamed. Would you like to kill yourself? So just when you thought that things couldn't get any more sadistic and misogynistic, hey-ho, along comes Love Camp 7. Indeed. And can we read from the liner notes from uh, Something Weird video? Yes. In the world of roughies, there's Love Camp 7. Think of it as an 
one-stop supermarket for all your misogynistic needs. I think the shopping trolley overflows mm. on this on this particular supermarket sweep. But yes, where to begin? So um, the plot is ridiculous, but very functional. Um, because it's an attempt by um, a very buxomous woman to infiltrate um, a notorious Nazi women's prisoner of war camp and where she is going to find information that leads to um, uh, secrets for development of a new jet engine. And to do that, you have to, you know, be horse for the Third Reich. Mm. So... Very, very. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah but you have it's, women it's, in prison meets, uh, you know, um, Nazi exploitation meets nudie meets ruffy, and again, Bob Cressy is here as a as a sadistic camp commandant with a super corny German accent. And um, to say yeah. that he's overacting, I would say that was would be an understatement. an 11 to me that's almost goes all the way up to 12 <laughs> it's true it's true oh my i'm i'm laughing so hard every time i hear that sorry mm. so would it be fair to say that after love camp 7 and not exploitation um you'd think that the animal 1968 would be you know something less of a misogynistic treat but although the setting and and everything is much more um normal shall we say middle class america it's, it's almost more disturbing yeah um to me anyway than than love camp seven precisely because it's such a everyday scenario and yet such a you know horrific premise yeah and also a, a very believable john alderman who plays the lead part um and and he's he's a, a voyeur and he's nasty in all respects of the world but he's still you know you can still get feel some sympathy for him, which is very strange. Oh, it's a good performance, and you know he he does he doesn't overdo it. He doesn't have to dial it all the way up to eleven, mm. and in fact, all the more sinister and believable for it. And of course, we have a return of Virginia Gordon, indeed, yes, in the third film. So, shall we do briefly just mention the plot of it? So, effectively, this. Um, um, psychopath um, uh, who is um, all the classics um, hates his mother suffers from migraines and gets a real kick out of um, you know um, invading the privacy of women so he begins by um, making obscene phone calls and then starts peeping on them via telescope 
um, and then develops a very unhealthy obsession with one particular woman, a, a single mother, mm. uh, played by Virginia Gordon. And he orders her to perform all sorts of depraved things for him, or he will kill her 10-year-old son. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. Jeez. And and just to make it actually show that um, Lee had interesting talent, he then, uh, there's a sequence towards the end, we're not giving away any spoilers here, where there's LSD involved, and, and suddenly it switches from black and white to color. Mm. Um, but it really is the last bit which is also the most depraved um i i would say yeah and um it also has one of the greatest taglines or most horrific taglines of of all time or of any of these films at least yes indeed will you do us the honor i will he made her an animal now all he needed was a leash mm. put that on your film poster that's very and see very humanistic forming <laughs> <laughs> and also we well, we have to take some credit very... here actually because this was a long lost film for over four decades um it, yes. it was considered lost and this is sort of part of what we are doing now with both cult picks and club super eight is that we are finding films as the exploitation producers they only thought they would have a short life in the theaters and then they basically didn't care about their films so they many of them were lost and uh, this one, along with a couple of others, um, we managed to find at an old Danish uh, film distributor's warehouse uh, some 20 years ago when uh, uh, Mike and Lisa from Something Weird Video, along with Dave Friedman, came to Scandinavia for a tour of a touring film festival. And lo and behold, the animal was found in these vaults. So uh, Friedman himself could see it getting excavated. That is brilliant. That's pure, you know, celluloid Indiana Jones stuff. Yeah, indeed. Um, and it's appropriate that we should be showing these films and other, uh, actually, um, Lee Frost films today, because as well as being George Romero's birthday, did you know that it is the International Day of Human Fraternity? Oh, how very fitting with the Lee Frost theme, I must say. <laughs> your clothes on. Take the phone and stand on the other side of the bed. That's very nice. I can see you as clearly as if you were two feet away. It's like I could just about touch you. Now you do just like I tell you. No more, no less. Take off your blouse and then your skirt. Then turn around slow. Picking up the pace, as we've got three films left to get through, The Pickup from 1968, again uh, considered a 
Long Lost Ruffy, uh, which was also found in Copenhagen. Yeah. Why Club Super 8, but mm. being uh, discovered by Mr. Dave Friedman himself. So we knew it was there, but he got the surprise element of, oh, look, here's my movie. So that's a good one. Yeah. And this is a kind of... And a- Mike, Mike... I'm sorry. No, just and and Mike Ronnie being there and, and Mike saying um that it was like finding the holy grail. Yeah. Um because um it is a you know great film as far as the oeuvre of um horrible misogynistic films by Lee Frost. Um it has a we're coming back to the nipple subject. There is a very, very nasty nipple electrocution scene in yeah. this. Yeah, because the storyline so, um, is is about a couple of gangsters uh, um, going to Vegas and uh, being cheated uh, on a on a lot of money by two young women, and they feel they mm-hmm. have to torture them, and that's where the uh, electrical wiring comes in. Yeah, and I gather I didn't know about this, but apparently uh, Dave Friedman did a lecture. At the Stockholm's Dramatiska uh, Institutet, yes. the uh, school for directors, where normally they have the likes of you know Bergman and Bo Widerberg lecturing, yeah. and he showed them this scene, the elect- nipple electrocution scene, did he? Yes, and he was you know uh, a good good humored man with with uh, with he had an easy easy way to to laugh at stuff, so he was there with his big gold signet ring his cigar and laughing at this scene and just being a hollywood producer and the students were just you know staring uh, in awe they they didn't know what to make of this yes and you know it's not as as if swedes are easily shocked or or haven't seen nipples but yeah it's it's a, it's a very unique ruffy yeah. now you listen to me you dumb son of a bitch was your hot pants that got us here in the first place? I'm gonna tell you something. Cause you're young and you're new and you're stupid! Right now they're looking for us cause we ain't made our delivery. Even if we get the money back, we're still in big trouble. But maybe, just maybe, if I give them back the money, they'll let us live. If I don't, you better find a nice deep hole to hide in. Because they're going to blow your brains out, baby. So we're still in the 60s. 1969 is the year. And it's The Scavengers. And I'm going to do my very bad Western Southern accent. Tagline is, they spell love like you'd spell lust. And they'd already turned 10 towns to dust. Yeah. So this is probably, again, one of the more notorious films from Lee Frost. And what is a pretty notorious oeuvre. Yeah. Um, along with Bob Cressy, and we're back into Western, or actually Civil War uh, times. So this tale of a bunch of dirty renegade Confederate soldiers who, much like the Japanese fighting on the island, don't realize that the war is actually yeah. over, are out to no good, uh, more robbing than you know, fighting, uh, taking on a Yankee coach and hoping to score a big uh, chest of gold coins. 
um, and then um, trouble ensues. Yes, indeed. As so often does when they come on up against the Union Yankees. And it's interesting so because, it's I called, mean, it, it, uh, it contains some very rough scenes and 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 obviously the these soldiers are super racist and and horrible in all ways but uh without spoiling too much they will get their fair share and that's not mm. the gold no 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 um but the dialogue by bob Cressy is um quite sharp and as far as kind of the horse opera genre goes you know, it's it's well plotted, um, and um, good action sequences. I mean, it's no Sergio Leone, but it is a good western. I'll tell you what, Lieutenant Nelson, I'm going to do you a big favor. Yes, sir. I'm going to give you an example of what's going to happen to your sweet little fiance if your stubbornness continues. Corporal Williams, Bradley. Bring this thing over to the bar. Do what you want to with her. Bring the other men in. Let them have their fun, too. If they can stand the idea. Hell, Captain, I can stand anything. Brad, get her. I'll go to the back. Um, we're going into biker territory and going across the pond to Denmark. Or are we? <laughs> we are not sure. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, in the liner notes from from something weird video, it says that um, well, it's supposedly a Danish film, and it was trying to you know cash in on both the imports of the art house uh, films from Scandinavia, like I'm Curious Yellow, as well as uh, riding on the success of Easy Rider. Um, but it, I mean, all all of the titles are like Danish sounding names. Um, mm-hmm. And and even the production company is called like Copenhagen something. Um, but yes. the um, the person who wrote the liner notes he says that it, it has all the hallmarks of, of a Lee Frost uh, movie. So he interviewed Frost about it, and he said, "No, I never made this movie," and he's really vehemently right. denying having been involved in it at all. Well, it is formally credited to directed by Elof Petersons. Mm. Very strange with the plural S at the end Indeed. there. A bit of a... Um, and also cinematography, again, Lee Frost often shooting his own film, uh, credited to Torvald Nyheter, <laughs> which, as any good Scandinavian knows, means news. Exactly. Well, we've got news for you. Probably not real no. names. Probably and it was shot probably pretend. shot in 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 a couple of days and and um, what what Frost has said is that he was making movies for American International at the time, but when he had weekend off, he'd shoot a movie in two days. And in this mm. case, it also says that uh, Lee Frost's name is actually in the credits as having done the uh, the adaptation uh, of of the the dubbing into English. And that probably right. has to do with that they they couldn't afford to to shoot the film with direct sound, so they just added on dialogue as they, you know, yeah. made it up and uh, didn't have to lip sync it. I have to say, whatever you think of the sexual politics of of Frost and Cress and Friedman and gang, um, you have to admire their 
work ethic and their can-do spirit oh, yeah. of just you know knocking together these films and given all the constraints in terms of budget and sets and even acting talent um they're remarkably watchable mm. B films from that and also shooting on 35 millimeter which was super expensive compared to going digital and I would say you don't yes. you you always say or that we 16. shouldn't get into politics, but I would say that these guys never asked for a a grant or or anything like that nope. from a f- national film institute. They just did what they wanted to. Yeah, um, and in fact, David Friedman he wrote uh, an autobiography called um, "Youth in Babylon: Confessions of a Trash Film King," and he was very proud of his cinematic over, and he said. I made some terrible pictures, but I don't make any apologies for anything I've ever done. Nobody ever asked for their money good, back. Good for him. So, <laughs> no handout and no, no refunds. That's that's great. I mean, that which is how that's it's exploitation true. for you. That's spoken like a true exploitation filmmaker. No. So, um, obviously, very Danish dialogue. So we're not going to play a clip from no, this No, I think film. we could end the um, podcast with a theme song because that's actually sung by a, a Danish woman in Danish. But yes, let's the most Danish thing yeah, about but it. Yeah, let's talk about Zero which, In and Scream now. This this is an interesting one, not so much for the misogyny, but it, in terms of how it um, both dovetails with so much of the kind of serial killer madness of the 70s, you know, the whole Son of Sam, Zodiac Killer, um, again, a theme week we should have on Cold Picks if we haven't had mm-hmm. it already. Um, but uh, Hillside Strangler, and here we've got the, um, you know, Hillside Sniper, effectively. Yeah. And I think it has a, if you, if you want to really go all the way, it has a, you can really compare the storyline with what's being discussed now in society about incels. I was just going to bring that up. So great minds hmm. think alike. So long before the term was coined, incels, which for those of you that don't know, involuntary celibates, hmm. angry young white males who don't get it on with um, the um, better half of um, humans. And therefore, without girlfriends, without women in their lives, develop this violent hatred yeah. for the female species. When in fact they could just have brushed their teeth and and held the door door open for a woman. <laughs> it's not hard, guys. But so uh, the tagline is: when a man climbs on top of a woman, she becomes ugly. And so this uh, sniper. Um, he just prowls the Hollywood Hills um, looking for couples um, and, you know, pointing his um, sight, uh, the scope of his rifle on them. Very creepy, very creepy yeah, premise. But just killing um, the men. Sp- but just mm-hmm. killing the men, yes. Um, unlike, was it Son of Sam who killed yeah, both couples so, yeah. when they were in the... Bu- yeah. Um, and um, should we read up a little bit? Because it's interesting. I haven't had time to see it yet, I'll be mm. quite honest. Uh, from the Daily Horror Grindhouse, um, where given that he's such an insult, he has very impressive hair and a deep tan. So he obviously gets out you know, quite a lot. But um, it's really an excuse for a lot of nudity because he spends the lead character a lot of time in the strip club. 
um, despite hating women, but maybe that's why he can't get a girlfriend. Strip club's not the best place for finding girlfriends. Although there is one stripper who kind of takes pity or a liking to him and invites him along to a party, uh, which is a very 70s softcore LA kind of party. And obviously he freaks out. So, you know, what's going to happen next? And this was one of those super low budget films, but still with an interesting premise and and some cool locations. And as someone also pointed out, uh, most of it is, you know, through the perspective of either the, the the rifle or underwater in a swimming pool with nude people. Yes, I, one of the reasons I want to see it, allegedly a, a very well shot underwater orgy scene. And it's only a brief 63 mm. minutes long. So, you know, you can you know, tick it off in just over an hour. Yeah. But a real time capsule of what, you know, LA was back in 1970, you know, just after the the Manson killings and on the eve of the kind of the hippie revolution and free love yeah. and all that. So um, Lee Frost was always good at capturing that kind of dark underbelly side of society while still giving us a glimpse of what real society was like at the time. Yeah, indeed. And here he didn't want to use his name, so he's less Emerson here. Yeah. So that's the last film um, in the collection for this time. Although, of course, his career did go on for another uh, 25 Mm. years um, up to um, softcore porn. Um, But it it is a really neat um, kind of span of of just seeing how much has changed given the fact that, you know, we started out um, in 62 and we end in uh, 1970. So it's only an eight-year span, but... Even in that time, you can see how much America had changed and how much films and what you could show and uh, the kind of topics uh, Indeed, had changed. Yeah. And they really had their finger on the pulse, as you said, whether it's jumping onto trends like biker films or you know Scandi uh, nudie exploitation or even inventing mm. genres like Nazi exploitation. Yeah. So... You know, we're not saying we approve or disapprove of, of the kind of message of the politics of the misogyny, but it is an oeuvre in and of its own. And that's why it was you know, the right kind of choice for highlighting uh, in this theme week of Lee Definitely. Frost. And this is also obviously one of the directors that has been hugely influential on, on, on modern directors like Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino and the like. So, uh, oh, definitely. Yes. They know him and quote him mm. visually. Um, we should give a special thanks, as we always do, to Lisa Petrucci and Something Weird Indeed. Video, where so many of these films came from, and also to Club Super 8 for having helped um, you know, rediscover two of yes, them it's, in the deep, dark vaults of Copenhagen. It's funny that these things still do happen, <clears throat> that lost films get rediscovered, so we're very happy about that. Are there any Lee Frost films that are still missing in action? That uh, we not know that I know. We'll have to check that out. Mm, could be. Well, anyway, there's plenty enough here for you to enjoy. So shall we, unless there's anything else you want to add to it, we'll finish up the podcast with the theme song from Ride Hard, Ride Wild. Let's do that. 
You've been listening to Cold Picks Radio, WCPX 66.6, with me, your host, Django Nudo. And the smut peddler. Until next time. Bye.